Well, if you're thankful to be free this morning, say amen. Amen. I am thankful to be free, washed in the blood, forgiven of my sins, and uh, here in the presence of God to give Him thanks and to give Him praise for His great sacrifice. That's what we're here to do uh, today. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. So thankful that God gave us this supper. So thankful that He gave us this memorial, that He gave us this gift. Uh, to, to, to be able to come together as His church and as His people and to just take our minds and our hearts off of all of the things that we might be distracted by this morning that might have our attention this morning and then just to focus them on the cross and, and just focus them on that place where, where God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a joy it is to gather and think about the love of God, the mercy of God. God knows that we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to take the good things for life for granted many times, and we need something like this. We, we need a, a memorial, a, a time to come together and just refocus on what matters most. Remembering past events can have a powerful impact on our lives. The motto, remember the Alamo, was a battle cry in the Texans' struggle for independence from Mexico. The motto, remember Pearl Harbor, was America's battle cry as she entered World War II. The motto, remember 9-11, is a phrase that recalled... Uh, in the last 17 years since, uh, has, has recalled and strengthened our resolve in the fight against terrorism. These are, these are things that, that we remember. We, we don't want to forget what happened. And by remembering, we, we believe that it will impact our present and that it will impact our future. We're just a few weeks away of reflecting on 9-11. And uh, as we do that, uh, I want to just uh, thank God for this nation. I want to thank God for the brave men and women who protect our freedom and protect our nation each and every day. Don't you appreciate those that give of, give of their lives for our nation? One, one of the powerful stories of one who gave his life to save others on 9-11 is the story of a true American hero, a guy by the name of Stephen Seiler. And uh, Stephen Seiler was uh, a, a firefighter, New York City firefighter, and he was just getting off work and uh, getting ready to go and relax and just uh, hang out with some friends. They were going to play golf, and so this 34-year-old father of five children is, is heading to play golf with his friends when he gets the call that uh, the World Trade Center towers had been, uh, had been attacked. And so this firefighter from Squad 1 in Brooklyn turned his truck around and he began to head for Manhattan. Well, he wasn't able to drive through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, so he parked his vehicle and Stephen Seiler, this true American hero, packed 60 pounds worth of equipment on his back and he ran more than three miles 
to get to the, the Trade Center Towers. His entire squad perished on that day. His story of heroism was memorialized in 2002 with a run of 5K that retraced his steps. And since that time, that race has become an annual event attracting more than 25,000 participants. And as the runners in the race near the finish line there at ground zero, they are greeted by the uh, fire department from New York in full dress uniforms, poster-sized pictures of the 300 and 43 firefighters who died on 9-11. Stephen Seiler gave his life to rescue and to save others. And his sacrifice is remembered each year in this 5K run. As we gather today in an infinitely greater way, we remember someone who gave the greatest sacrifice. Amen, church? We remember the one who gave an infinitely greater sacrifice than Stephen Siler on this day. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We remember God who put on flesh and paid the price for our sins so that we could be free, we could be redeemed, and we could know that when our life is over that heaven is our home. And I want us to spend just a little time in devotional uh, thought and meditation on a passage in First Peter chapter 3 this morning. So before we take the Lord's Supper, I've always thought that it's good to get into the Word of God, to prepare our hearts, allow God to speak to us as we reflect on His love. So just brief devotional meditation this morning. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And this passage of Scripture reminds us of the price that was paid for us and the outcome of that price paid for us, for all of us who believe, for all of us who trust in Christ. And 1 Peter 3 and 18 says this, says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but he was made alive in the Spirit. That's our focus verse this morning. We're just going to meditate for a few moments on this passage as God prepares our heart for his supper. I think one of the first things that I want you to recognize is that this, this passage teaches us that, that Christ's death was enough, that, that he only had to die once. Look at that in verse 18, that Christ also suffered once for sins. I think that there's a possibility that Peter is maybe contrasting the sacrifice of Christ with all of the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, that those animals uh, had to be sacrificed over and over and over again, year after year after year. And Hebrews says that those animals never had the power to take away our sins, that God ordained those to show a picture of Christ, the Lamb of God who was to come, but those animals never had the power to forgive us of our sins. They were only an ordained temporary covering for our sins until Jesus came. And this passage reminds us that when Jesus came, 
He died once. He'll never have to die again. No more animal sacrifices because, my friend, this morning, the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover all of our sins. Amen? Yeah. Christ suffered once. That word suffered draws us and draws our attention to the price that Jesus had to pay to redeem us from our sins. We, we know that Jesus went to a cross, the most cruel, the most painful, the most horrific death possible. We, we believe it was the Persians who invented crucifixion, but it was the Romans who popularized crucifixion. And, and it was reserved only for the worst of criminals. And beyond just the nails that would have been driven into the, the hands and the feet of Christ, beyond the, the crown of, of thorns, we, we know there was a pre-crucifixion flogging that was so brutal that many times that alone would take the life of the one who was being crucified. Jesus suffered for me. Jesus suffered for you. In his incarnation, in his life here on earth, he was mocked and he was ridiculed and he was an outcast among even his own hometown. And he did all of that. He was willing to suffer all of that for me and all of that for you. For Christ also suffered once for sins. I want you to notice as well, here in this passage that Jesus went where he didn't deserve or didn't, didn't have to go. It wasn't his sins that put him on the cross. Look at this phrase here, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is a reminder that Jesus stood in our place, that when he went to that cross, he, he stepped into a condemned, cursed place. It was considered a curse. If you wound up on a cross, you were considered to be cursed by God. And, and wow, the power of Jesus going to that cursed place for me and that cursed place for you. It's where the unrighteous went, but Jesus in his love for us, Jesus the righteous one went where we deserve to go. At the cross, God went where he didn't deserve to go in order to save us for a place we didn't deserve to go, heaven. And my friends, I'm so thankful this morning that he did, that the righteous, the perfect one, took the place of this unrighteous, imperfect one. We see here, as we work to a close in our devotional time, the purpose. Why did Jesus do this? To bring us to God. Notice this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus was, if you might imagine on the cross, he was the bridge from heaven to earth so that when our life is over, if Christ is our Savior, if Christ is our Lord, we can cross safely from earth into heaven. And then this passage closes with the feet that made Good Friday good, and that is the resurrection of Christ. We're reminded here that he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. Now, there's a possibility some Bible commentators think this may be a reference to the resurrection. It may more likely be a reference to the fact that the Spirit of Christ did not die. It was Jesus on the cross. See, if you remember this, that said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so while Jesus died and his body was buried, his spirit remained alive. In fact, the next verse here in this passage 
speaks of how Jesus went and proclaimed victory over demonic forces. This does remind us of the resurrection of Christ, that on the third day, our Savior and our Lord did not stay dead. My friends, He rose from the dead, and, 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 it, and it is in His resurrection that Jesus made Good Friday good. Amen? If Jesus stays in that grave, we do not worship Him today as Messiah. But He rose forth triumphantly on that third day. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. And I love what one person has said about how we know we can trust Jesus. When He rose from the dead, we know that we can trust everything He said about the forgiveness of sins. I, I like this. Some, some preacher has said this, that Jesus on the cross wrote a check for the forgiveness of our sins through His blood and on the third day, he rose up from the grave and the check cleared. Amen? We know that through the resurrection, we can trust Jesus. In fact, there's no other world religion that has a founder that said, I'm going to do something that only God can do. No other world religion has a founder that died and rose again from the dead. Jesus said in John 2 and 19, you're going to destroy this body and in three days, I will raise it up again. Does that give you joy this morning, church? That our Savior said before he was crucified, before he was buried, before he rose again, that he indeed would conquer death, hell, and the grave. My friends, that's who I want to trust my soul to this morning. Amen? That's the one I want to follow in getting to heaven. That's the one. He's the reason I don't fear death or hell, or the grave, I'm hitching the wagon of my soul to that man, that Savior, that Lord, that God this morning. Pretty large, amen, yeah, thank you Lord. There is no one like Jesus, never has been, and there never will be. One unique man, Jesus the Son of God, proclaimed that he had come from heaven. Witnesses proclaimed he lived a perfect life. And then church, he went to a cross and he laid down his life for my sins, for your sins. And he did what only God can do. And he rose again on the third day. And he started a movement that will never end. His name is Jesus. And he's the one and only. And he's worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, worthy of our thanksgiving this morning. Love is an incredible gift. Um... I thank God for His love for us. Thank God that He's given us a capacity to know and, and to love Him. I'm thankful for the love that I can experience with my family, love that I can experience with friends, church family, community. Love is a special gift. Love is a, a gift that will drive you to do things you ordinarily might not do. It may drive you to spring into action or to go somewhere or to do something that you normally wouldn't do. A few weeks ago while we were on family vacation, I found this to be true in my life. One of the things that uh, I, I do, we, we do when we go on vacation, we, uh, we, we will, um, by, by some point in time in the week, we'll, we'll buy the kids a little something, a little souvenir or something like that, and they know they've got to what? They've got to be good. They've got to be good that week if they're going to get something. And so that's kind of a, a reward for good behavior. And so that's kind of a tradition that we have. Well, on our first night of vacation, my 8-year-old son Connor 
had kind of latched on to a, a stuffed animal, a, an orange stuffed animal turtle that he really, really liked. And he said, that, that's what I want. That's, I know that's what I want. And uh, being a, a very wise father, I knew that if we bought it on the very first night, guess what? He'd see something else the next night or a couple of nights down the road, and he'd want that, and he'd be sorry that he had uh, made such a quick decision. So I said, no, we're not going to buy anything the first night. Um, you'll probably see other things you'll like. And by the way, we'll probably see this same orange turtle over and over and over again this week. And I said, we're, we're not going to get it tonight. Well, night two came, and night three came, and night four came, and we were trying our best to get him to, to maybe go with something else because we found out in the course of things that uh, at this particular place, and I didn't think about it the night of, uh, at this particular place, we had driven about 25 minutes just to get there, and it cost money to get into the facility. <laughs> it was a little village area, and you had to pay to get in, and so... Uh, it started kind of hitting me that uh, if we go back there, it's going to be 25 minutes out of the way, and I'm going to have to pay just to get in. So we're, we're scrambling to get him to buy something else and be satisfied with something else, and he's locked in on this orange stuffed turtle. And I was doing my best. I was trying to talk him into understanding how alligators are better than turtles. Amen? Come on, parents. You've been there. Uh, and, and, and all the reasons why. In fact, we, we were, while we were on vacation, uh, do y'all have the picture I've got up there? I want you to look at what crossed our path one day on a hike we were on. This, look at that. Y'all know what that is? It's an alligator. That's an alligator. And, that, and it's not real large, but I took, I took that picture. I, was that I took that picture on a trail. And uh, we, I, we weren't really that scared of that alligator, but where there's a baby, there's a what? <laughs> there's a mama, right? So we, we got on out of there, and I was trying to talk him into a really cool way to commemorate our trip would be to buy a, a stuffed animal gator. It's right here in front of us. Let's buy it, you know? Um, and, and then, of course, I would try to talk a shark. Sharks are much cooler than turtles, amen? And, and so I, I'm in the mode of trying to talk, but no, no. He's latched on to this, he's a man who, who knows what he wants when he sees it, and he's latched on to this orange turtle, and what really got to my heart as a dad is he wasn't manipulating us, he was, sometimes my kids get into a mo, and they've, they've done this, we've tried to teach them not to do this, sometimes my kids have almost gotten into like where they're threatening me, you know, over not getting something or something, to, and we, we don't, as parents, hey parents, we don't negotiate with terrorists, amen? We, we tell our kids that. We do not negotiate with terrorists. So that's the worst way to get us to get something for you is to put us in a position where we feel threatened. And so, but, but he wasn't. Uh, Connor, he was ready to go back home with, with nothing if he couldn't have the orange turtle. That's what he wanted. He wasn't throwing a fit. He wasn't begging me to go, you know, on this long journey to get it. He, he was just ready to, he was just ready to go home without anything because that, he wanted that orange turtle. So on our last day there, we had a little bit of time in the afternoon, and I got in the van, I loaded Connor up, and I said, let's go get that orange turtle. His eyes lit up, and he jumped in, and sure enough, we got with, with traffic and everything, it was about a 30-minute drive one way. It wasn't going to be on the way home. It was out of the way. About a 30-minute drive. And I had to pay to get back into the village. It was just $5, but 
I had to pay to get back in, and that really irritated me. We went in, and we bought it, and we got back out in the van. And I was so touched by his thanksgiving. I was so touched by his thanksgiving. We sat down, backed up, and took off. And he said, Dad, thank you so much for paying the price to get me this stuffed animal. Thank you so much for paying the price to get me this stuffed animal. What a great lead into the Lord's Supper this morning. As we gather, we look up. The price I paid, minuscule. Very, very small. The greatest price that any parent will pay to do something for their child, it's minuscule. It's very small compared to the fact that the gospel tells us that God came from heaven, that he put on flesh, that he suffered on this earth, that he died on a cross, that he bled and he suffered and he died for me and you. And we gather to look up and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for paying the price for our sins. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we look up. Jesus, we, we look up, we say thank you for, for paying the price. For coming to earth and laying down your life for our sins, we say thank you. Lord, I pray that during this time as we take your supper, our hearts would be moved, that our hearts would be broken, that, God, you'd bring us to a place of repentance over sin, a place of thanksgiving for your sacrifice. I pray that we would see it in a way perhaps we've never seen it before, and that our lives would be moved to greater levels of worship, greater levels of praise, greater levels of thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that... Um, you would move in this place. And God, that just our hearts would be broken before you as we take of the bread, as we take of the cup, and remember your sacrifice. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a moment of, of preparation before we take the Lord's Supper. Um, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul encouraged the church, don't, don't take the Lord's Supper until you've had opportunity to examine your heart. As it's been mentioned, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, whether or not you're a member here, we, we invite you to take of the Lord's Supper. Here's what I believe. Here's what we believe as a church. We don't believe this supper belongs to Second Baptist Church. We believe it belongs to Jesus Christ. And we believe that His church, His people, born, born again, bought by the blood, we believe His people can come and examine themselves. We don't feel like we have to examine you, that you can examine yourself. If you're a blood-bought, bought, born-again, baptized believer, you're free to take this supper with us. But only as you examine yourself, only as I examine myself, and as we repent of sin in our life, and we're reminded that God died not only to save us from our sins, but to redeem us from the power of our sins. And so we're entering into a time of worship, a time of praise. Um, the the altar is going to be open if you just want to come and pray. If you just want to pray where you're at, it's time of examining our hearts. And so at this time, as we stand, would you worship? Would you confess? Would you repent? Would you say, Lord, forgive me of sin in my heart as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper?